going on, podcasting world? Back for another episode of the Core Consult RX podcast. We're getting ever so close to episode 100. Mm, we are. We're going to do a episode 100 extravaganza. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Just don't know what that's going to entail yet. Maybe we can do a two-parter on something hard. Pyrotechnic show. Okay, we could do that. Or just a hard topic. You could probably that make that work with your, your lighting situation right now. Maybe. I mean, you just had some fire. <laughs> right. That's it. That's all you got to do. Yeah. Burn my house so. down. And that was how the podcast ended. <laughs> that is when we moved into a uh, off-campus studio. Right. Yeah, our rental. <laughs> and also my wife. Which is actually a uh, rental unit, 10 by 10. <laughs> it's, the, it's a storage unit. <laughs> <laughs> Man, so Cole and I were actually just talking uh, before we started recording because he made the gross miscalculation, gross misstep of listening to episode one of our mm. own podcast just to kind of see what it was like back then. And he said within within one second of him talking, he started cringing. Yeah, in my mind, it, it I thought we did really well. We researched it and we prepared. We even had a junk episode from before that that we trashed. And so that was technically our second episode. And my first line was just so terrible for those who go back. So I always recommend that people wa- listen to the first episode. It's great. It was hypertension. I don't think I'm going to recommend that anymore. It's, it's no longer a recommendation. Start with the old stuff. And then once you like us, then go back to the beginning. So start with the new stuff. Like Did the newest, okay, yeah. yeah, sorry. Start with and the new stuff, and then when you like us, go back to the beginning. That's a good point. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, see, I knew it was a disaster back then. That's why I never listened to those episodes. <laughs> so when we're at episode 1,000, we can listen to episode 100 and right. see how far we've come. Ho- hopefully. Hopefully yeah. we're in a much bigger studio by then. Probably be, you know, in like November. <laughs> Probably. Much bigger studio. Are you, were you moving out? We're going to purchase something? Well, if we get to a million, would you say a million? A thousand. Uh, oh, a thousand. Never mind. A hundred million episodes. Yes. Dude, um, but yeah, that's, I remember when we recorded that very first episode, we were kind of like, uh, nah, this isn't going to happen. <laughs> we just trashed that one and started over. Well, was that, an was introduction, the, uh, that was the warm up. It was an introduction to ourselves and I'm horrible at talking about myself. I actually hate talking about myself. Um, so I'm glad this isn't a podcast on the lives of Mike and Cole. This is extremely boring, by the way. So Not I have a lot going on. I have a slight follow up to our uh, most recent episode. What you got? Which is doing well, by the way. Coronavirus episode. They've named it now. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, the COVID nineteen. That's what they're calling it. So sounds like an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. <laughs> is that what it sounds like? Yeah, I guess. COVID. So COVID. C O V I is coronavirus, of course. D is disease. And the nineteen is its year of origin. Twenty nineteen. So the year that will live in infamy. Yeah, it doesn't have any fun like SARS or yeah. MERS. Maybe SARS a little, sounds a lot more intimidating. Maybe than, if it causes something like that, they'll add that on at the beginning, and it'll be like SARS COVID nineteen. Mm, yeah, it's a sequel. Mm-hmm. Man, so what are we talking about today? We are talking about male hypogonadism with an emphasis on testosterone. Right, absolutely. We're um, just going to call it hypogonadism, but females have that too, and yeah, we're. we're just going to touch. I think we'll have enough trouble touching on the male stuff. So, and uh, so this actually, I got a message from uh, one of our listeners named Derek, um, who is doing pre-farm um, out in Utah and uh, hopes to go to pharmacy school after that. Um, reached out to me over, over Instagram and um, told me that he uh, wanted to uh, have a give me a couple ideas for you know episode topics and things like that. And um, one of them was testosterone, and so I told him we'd start with that one and go from there. But uh, Derek, man, thank you so much for reaching out. Thanks for listening. So hope this hope this is uh, what you're looking for, but we'll see. We won't know until the end of it anyway. Right. All right. Um, what do you want to start with this? You said you had some uh, some updates or background or something, right? Well, um, I guess this, this could be safe for later on, but I'll just throw it in now because we'll be talking a lot about 
testosterone and testosterone supplementation. Um, it first started, which they had been trying to do like testes transplantations for the last, or I guess in the 1700s, the 1800s, they were transplanting human testes onto other people. They were transplanting animals' testes onto other people. Um, so trial and error, it makes you really glad you weren't around in that time. Um, back then, there were a lot of people who had been castrated for various reasons, whether it was to be a choir boy or to be someone um, trusted in the high court of some land. Um, I guess they just have more wisdom because they're they're not you know, clouded by testosterone and hormones. Uh, so anyways, 1935 was when Inrest Locker, that's what I'm going with, uh, isolated testosterone from bull testes in Amsterdam. And then the same year, testosterone was chemically synthesized independently by another guy. Um, so that was kind of the start of where we get our testosterone supplementation and our anabolic type things is, is what came out of that as well. Um, it was, they tried oral testosterone um, for a while. Turns out that doesn't work very well because it just kills your liver. Even though if you go to other countries, you could probably even order it from like Canada. You could order oral testosterone and use it. Uh, but we'll talk a little more about that as we get into the testosterone stuff. So that was just a little history. Now we can talk about hypogonadism. Cool. So um, I guess we'll, let's just start with, you know, testosterone, endogenous testosterone, like what that is to begin with. So obviously male sex hormone, um, but also found in females. And um, it's basically manufactured in the testes, um, but it's going to be influenced directly by luteinizing hormone um, as well as follicle stimulating hormone that are, um, and you get this kind of, those are produced in the pituitary, but you get this um, hypothalamus, anterior pituitary, and testes kind of feedback loop going. And so when you have these increasing levels of follicle-stimulating hormone, um, luteinizing hormone, you signal for testosterone release, and uh, that can also lead to a um, negative feedback inhibition of those hormones as well as gonadotropin-releasing hormone as well. Right. Um, and so all that kind of is is the reason why, you know, when, when uh, younger boys are going through, like, puberty and all that, so they start having the, the, you know, hormone changes and stuff, and testosterone is kind of driving that, um, obviously increases spermatogenesis and all that fun stuff. Um, but as we get older, then testosterone levels tend to decrease. So mm -hmm. after about 40, depending on which, you know, site you're looking at usually this consensus is around 40 your testosterone levels start to decline and uh you know a lot of times when you look at like overall data with 60 year olds and, and more it's a good majority of them have decreased levels of testosterone um, yeah i saw one stat um 80 years old 80 percent of people who are 80 years old men who are 80 years old have low t so it's definitely age related and that's going to be your primary risk factor in a patient who is aged um, that you're considering if they're younger you might be looking at other causes so we'll get into that but just like mike said luteinizing hormone stimulates lydig cells to secrete testosterone whereas the follicle stimulating hormone is uh, more necessary for like tubular growth uh, there's a couple so with all that in mind like mike was talking about there's a couple of modalities to um, acquire hypogonadism uh, obviously a condition where little or not enough hormone is produced by the testes it can be hypergonadotropic uh, this is called primary, where the gonads fail, or it can be hypogonadotropic, uh, hypogonadotropic which um, 
involves more of the pathway that Mike was talking about. So there might be an issue with the pituitary secreting uh, luteinizing hormone or follicle stimulating hormone, um, or somewhere in that process you have an issue, whether it's a mass or um, something congenital or genetic. We're mostly going to be talking about men uh, as opposed to pre-puberty hypogonadism. That can be caused by um, various syndromes like Klinefelter's, I believe, is the most common, but there's other ones. Um, in men over 40, it's mostly going to be age-related, um, though that doesn't mean that you don't want to look for other things that it could be, uh, but that's kind of what we're going to be talking about when we talk about supplementation. And the, the universal kind of lab value as far as what would make someone uh, or give someone the diagnosis of hypogonadism, uh, there's not a set lab value, but basically a lot of the literature will say less than um, 300 nanograms mm -hmm. per deciliter of testosterone. So the reference range, again, depending on what you look at, is going to be between 300, some say eight to, to 800, some say 300 to 1,000, depends on what you look. If you have 1,000 nanograms per deciliter, of testosterone in your system. You're pumping it. Yeah. You're probably a uh, pretty, pretty aggressive guy. <laughs> yes. That's, that's a pretty high levels. Yeah. The um, goal uh, is to kind of get back in that range yeah. when you're treating uh, with the symptoms and things being somewhat secondary, though that's mostly what your patients are going to be worried about. So there's going to be symptoms of lack of energy. You're going to have fatigue, um, decreased sexual function, uh, a lot of times you might have uh, a guy who is a little bit reluctant to come in. They might even have their um, wife with them because there's issues with decreased libido. Um, though a lot of men are going to be concerned about ED, uh, that's more of a neurovascular issue, not so much with testosterone. The libido, so lack of, um, you know, lack of sexual interest, would be a testosterone issue and supplementation and getting back into um, reference range would probably improve that. With the ED, you're still probably going to be looking at PDE5 inhibitors to be your, your primary go-to. And you might want to look at their history, like smoking history and history of cardiovascular disease for that sort of thing. Diabetes. Diabetes, yeah. And diabetes can lead to hypogonadism mm -hmm. in general as well, yeah. Um, and that's a good point about the um, ED because there have been a couple of like, comparative studies where they've looked at testosterone versus, you know, Viagra or um, Cialis or something like that, and the the phosphodesterase five inhibitors seem to do much better. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's good. Um, so kind of looking at again, kind of the testosterone as a whole. We ha I feel like especially the uh, the dude listeners have uh, when we think of testosterone. You know, a lot of times we think of the huge muscular guy at the gym because the of the anabolic properties of testosterone and so we're going to talk about the anabolic as well as the androgenic and kind of separate those out a little bit but um, just to kind of give you I guess an idea of like what's going on there with the muscle growth and all that so testosterone um, goes into the cytosol of different cells particularly in that case um, you know myocytes muscle cells and uh, binds to the receptors creates this complex that then basically just activates all this different um, very specific um, messenger RNA to increase transcription increasing this huge rate of protein synthesis and in, in those muscle cells in particular it's um actin and myosin and that ramp up of that increase in um, protein seems to be where the muscle growth and buildup actually comes from that being said just because someone uses testosterone especially in the case of 
actually having it monitored by a licensed physician and not, you know, some guy that you met at the gym. The uh, men that have low T levels usually look like normal people when they take testosterone. I think there's this misconception mm-hmm. that all of a sudden if you take testosterone, you're going to turn into the Hulk. Um, in fact, I'm going to call him out on this because it's fine. But my dad. I thought so, you were going to call it the Hulk. No, no I would not, I'm not crazy. <laughs> so my dad got, uh, he, he had tried it for a little bit. Um, Mike's mad. And uh, he tried, tried regular testosterone. He literally asked me, he's like, you know, I'm not getting any bigger. My muscles aren't getting any bigger. I'm working out every day. And, you know, granted he was, um, but I had, I was explaining, like, when you see those guys on TV, one, they're taking insane amounts a lot of times. Um, and they're also lifting weights and eating enormous amounts of food, like a good seven to eight hours a day as well. Yeah. Cause that's like their job. Right. So very different, uh, it's not magic. results. It's definitely not magic. It's not, you're not going to take that and then all of a sudden become insanely stronger. And then there athlete. are negatives to that, especially. So if your testosterone is normal and you start supplementing, then you could have negative effects. Absolutely. Um, extra testosterone can be esterotized into estrogen and mm-hmm. you can have, you know, increased acne, oily skin, gynecomastia, um, infertility that can last a long time, if not be permanent. Um, didn't you do a, didn't you do a grand rounds topic on something to do with testosterone? Mine was on a selective androgen receptor modulator, which mm. is, can increase like, so it's like a CERM, yeah, but, for but for, yeah, for androgen. So it can like increase like testosterone levels without actually being testosterone itself. Um, but yeah. Interesting. It's, yeah. It's, I don't think last time I checked, it wasn't through, it was in phase two clinical trials whenever I looked at it. And then, um, I don't know that it, it ever went anywhere from there. Right. Right. But, um, so we mentioned anabolic, that's the muscle growth, all that fun stuff. Now the not so fun stuff is the androgenic response. So you have androgen receptors um, in the, the tissue and things like that. So when testosterone interacts with those, you get these androgenic responses, which um, like Cole was saying, can increase, you know, um, things like hair growth, acne. Um, you can have issues with... Um, you know, gynecomastia, things like that over time. So they have, you can have all these negative effects from that. And that's basically because you have testosterone can go through two different paths. So testosterone can be uh, converted into um, dihydrotestosterone, which is um, that 5-alpha reductase enzyme that we talk about when we're talking about like um, BPH for prostate or even hair loss in men. Um, that enzyme is converting that regular free testosterone into that dihydrotestosterone which then has a lot more androgenic effects when it binds to that androgen receptor. And so, um, and then the other option obviously is uh, testosterone can be converted into estrogen by the enzyme aromatase. Um, but when, so testosterone, as far as the androgenic side effects, those certain androgenic receptors that kind of lead to that response happen to be located in things like the skin, um, which is where you get that increased sebum production, increased acne um, in the scalp. And so the, uh, a lot of times we'll have, you know, issues with, you know, hair and, and, you know, that's one of the reasons why we can use in a 5-alpha reductase inhibitor to kind of stop some of that hair loss in men who are, you know, balding naturally. And then um, also in the prostate as well. Um, and that's where we can get issues with uh, enlarged prostate sizes mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah. Speaking of that, it, when you're considering... Um treating somebody for low T and supplementing that is stuff you want to look for. Mm. Um, if they, 
uh, have a history of cardiovascular disease. They're kind of mixed reviews as to um, how important that is, but definitely something to consider, especially if they're younger and already have a history of cardiovascular disease. Um, if they have increased PSA or if they have prostate issues, that might be somebody you don't really want to use this in. Um, and I was also reading that um, sleep apnea, obstructive sleep apnea might be one as well. You usually would want to try to treat that uh, before supplementing to make sure that um, it's a true low T or that um, they don't have other issues going on that um, might cause that and might cause issues um, from hypoxia from their apneic events um, can increase risk for something like a stroke with low T. Mm -hmm. So definitely a lot of potential side effects. And and now we're, you know, just now getting to the point where we're having a lot of these studies that'll come out that have kind of looked at those cardiovascular benefits. Because before we were just kind of like, hope it goes well. Yeah. And, you know, the other piece of that is because we knew that we saw some of these like athletes and stuff that we knew were abusing testosterone, having, you know, MIs and strokes and things like that very early in life. And like, you know, you still will see that today sometimes with some of the big bodybuilders and stuff. But um, now the great question is, and we're starting to get answers, but if we use the testosterone in a reasonable dose, in a normal dose, Mm -hmm. in someone who's got low T, is that cardiovascular risk still actually there long term or is it only in patients who are using crazy high doses right. or have cardiovascular disease so right something we just got to keep keep watching on right so if uh if you're looking to diagnose somebody with this you we mentioned some of the symptoms of fatigue and um, potential lack of libido other things you might inquire about the rate of their beard growth if it's sparse or growing slower um, they might, you know, notice that they feel weaker muscle strength, or, um, they might just have lost a little bit of muscle mass, even though they're doing the same amount of activity. Uh, along with that, the guidelines do recommend, uh, measuring testosterone. Like we said on at least two occasions, I believe in the morning, maybe sometime between seven and 10 AM would probably be the best time. That's going to be, um, around the peak of their testosterone because testosterone has diurnal variation. Um, so getting a morning sample is recommended if they have the symptoms and you also, um, have one level uh, with low T you're going to want to repeat that, uh, just to confirm. And probably then you're going to order some other levels like, um, LH and FSH, maybe even a prolactin, um, to make sure that there's not other things going on or even not to just go ahead and start treating without trying to figure out the underlying cause. Uh, if they're older, above 40 or 50, it's probably age-related. Uh, but if they're younger, you definitely want to look at other things like masses on the pituitary, maybe even some um, genetic or um, congenital factor that they carried with them throughout puberty into adulthood. Um, so just make sure you're looking out for other things it could be. So if we do decide to treat someone with testosterone, at this point we have a lot of options. Um, we used to have, you know, injectables and that's kind of where it started. And, uh, we've, we've gotten more elaborate from there with topicals and patches and, um, now back to orals and things like that. So, um, a lot of, uh, a lot of different formulations and, and options for your patients. Um, basically if you starting with just regular testosterone, um, by itself, uh, it, you know, has a certain half-life and how quickly it's released from tissues and things like that. So one of the kind of main objectives for some of the people who are designing the, the drugs, um, were to take these ester groups and, and make different formulations, um, to add on to the testosterone molecule, which would then, uh, basically increase the amount of time and, or decrease rather how quickly it was released from the, 
from the, the tissue and would be allowed to stay in the system longer and you have to dose it less and all that. So like testosterone, uh, propionate, um, cypionate and, um, and phthalate, the three that we definitely will, you know, see kind of like even in like retail settings that our patients will be on, um, that are injectable versions. Mm-hmm. And those are basically just testosterone esters and different yeah. shapes and forms. And there are other salt forms too that, um, aren't used like acetate, phenylpropionate, um, isoproate, caproate, all those. Um, undecanoate is frequently the oral version, which mm-hmm. you mentioned that they're coming back to oral. So the the one that was approved last year, um, I believe it's called Jatenzo. Jatenzo. Yeah, Jatenzo. Uh, though not approved for age-related low T, it's mostly for prepubescent um, congenital disorders, supplementing testosterone. But I, I, yeah, I already mentioned that the reason you can't use it is liver toxicity, liver cancer, that sort of thing. Right. And, Usually. And so the only time, really the only time we see anything other than the new formulation that just came out. But anytime we don't see oral testosterone before that was actually, um, usually being treated, uh, used to treat women. Um, mm-hmm. so it was the methyl, yeah, the methyl. um, t- testosterone, but just like Cole said, that methyl group basically allows for that first pass metabolism and you get really bad, um, increases in, uh, liver toxicity and things like that. Uh, but the reason why that's still used in, um, usually in postmenopausal women that have ring, uh, like vasomotor symptoms, um, is because the methyl testosterone, when it's metabolized by that enzyme aromatase, instead of turning testosterone to regular estrogen, you get a very, very potent um, estrogen that's called 17-alpha methyl um, estradiol, and that is um, much more potent than regular estrogen and can help in that regard. So if somebody's on um, estrogen or progesterone therapy and they add on methyl testosterone, that's kind of the thought process behind it. That's like that EEMT drug mm-hmm. that you dispense, yeah. estrogen and methyl testosterone. Um, yeah, so uh, cypionate seems to be the most common injectable form, and that's probably because it uh, lasts a long time as opposed to some other salt forms when injected might not last long enough. That's why usually you only have to inject every week or every two weeks or even every 10 days, uh, depending on the situation. Um, there are also transdermal formulations like androderm, androgel, axiron, fortesta, testim, Um a lot of experts I was uh, looking at recommend trying the transdermal form first before the uh, injectables because it kind of depends on the patient. Uh, one reason being it better mimics the diurnal variations of testosterone. So you could apply it in the morning um, and that would kind of um, mimic the peak in the morning. And then as you go on throughout the day, it would um, go, be lower as opposed to testosterone, which would or I mean injectable testosterone, which would keep it high throughout the pretty much the entire time until you inject again. Um, kind of depends on where you look as to who recommends what, but that is just one person I was uh, listening to recommended that. And um, I guess let's let's give a couple like kind of I guess clinical pearls um, for some of the, the formulations that you mentioned, just for especially if we have pharmacy students or something. Um, so you mentioned a couple of the topicals, so like things like androgel. Um, there's also uh, testum is another one. But one of the things that's different about those uh, topical gels, and depending on which brand name it is, you actually apply it to different areas yeah. of the body. So not all of them are going to be put on the same way. So androgel, for example, is usually going to be the upper arms or shoulders, but specifically the package insert will say not to the abdomen. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas uh, testum, again, uh, arms, shoulders. But then when you get to like uh, Fortesta, which is just the testosterone gel 2%, um, their package insert tells you to only apply it to the front and inner thighs. 
Um, and I'm, I know there's got to be a better reason than it's just the way they wanted to do it. Well, I, or one I reason I could think of is less contact with people. So, I mean, if you applied it to your chest and upper arms and you have your shirt off and your little kid jumps on you for a little bit and you forget about it. Yeah. You know, I don't think, you know, true. hopefully they're not going to be hanging around your upper inner thigh too much. Yeah. We don't want that at but all. I feel like the chest, we don't advocate and, for that. chest and shoulder might be a little, a little more often. It's a good point. You know, um, and then there's also the solution. Um, instead of a gel, it's actually a liquid in case you want to have soaking wet armpits. Um, the uh, testosterone solution is uh, only applied to the armpits. And then the, um, the testo is the nasal gel. Um, so that one I goes didn't know there was a nasal gel. in the nose. Is that right? Yeah. What? Um, it's like a, it says gel, but it's, I guess it comes as like a spray. But yeah, you have to do it three times a day. So it's pretty annoying. Snort but testosterone. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Thinking of everything now. <laughs> Um, and then as far as, you know, risks and things like that, obviously, like Cole was saying earlier, the cardiovascular risk, the hepatic, you know, problem, the, all those things that we always kind of worry about, increased PSA for elder patients, you yeah. worry about prostate growth, yeah. you know, things like that, you just kind of have to monitor. It's definitely not something that's contraindicated, but just be aware of it. Right. And so that's why treatment is patient specific, um, because hypogonadism in general, if it's, if it's age related and it's not due to, a underlying genetic condition um, that doesn't really show increased mortality. Um, of course, increased morbidity because you're living with hypogonadism. So it's mainly for quality of life metrics. Um, obviously, the guidelines recommend getting um, the level back into normal range, which will hopefully result in improving the symptoms. Uh, but you know, if you can, I mean, a lot of the men are going to be uh, generally overweight, somebody who's aging, and they're coming in because they feel fatigued, um, because, um, they're having, um, various forms of sexual dysfunction. Um, and you could say, Hey, you know, if, if you're, you have the symptoms and you have low T and this is something you want to do, use it as a motivator to, you know, hit the gym, lose some weight, diabetes and, um, obesity are a, a big cause of uh, hypogonadism. And so the testosterone is not going to be something magical that you give them. That's going to help them to lean out and lose weight, but you might be able to work with them to encourage them and motivate them. Um, to use that extra energy to do that and hopefully improve the quality of life. So you're you're prescribing deadlifts and squats, huh? Right. Yeah. There you go. Given the the green, what do they call it? The green prescription? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but <laughs> exercise. Uh huh. It's what they call it. The steel prescription. Uh, ah, something. I think it's the green script. I think that's what they say. Hmm. Hmm. Who's they? I don't like those people. I know the people, the, the important people. ones. That's true. So, um. Real quick too, and this is one you probably at least I don't I haven't seen this one too much. The Androderm patch. Have you seen that one a lot? Uh, the patch. I have I have done the patch. Yes. So uh, I mean, by, and by that I mean dispense the patch. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> Cole is not advocating for testosterone use <laughs> in someone who's in their twenties. Um, so, like, remember I mentioned earlier with uh, the Androgel, you can't use it to the abdomen. So specifically, do not apply to the abdomen. Androderm, the patch package insert says. Give it, put it on the abdomen. Good to go. So, you know, it's one of those things that just really, you got to be very careful with yeah. the uh, application process of these topical and transdermal yeah. formulations because they, they do, uh, there's several of them and they are very easy to get confused. Yeah. So make sure you double check that. And of course, the injectables are inject injections. Um, so your patients will probably want to know that, that they're mm -hmm. going to have to inject, but it might be kind of nice only having to do it once a week. Um, but in general, you're using an actual syringe and it's not as pleasant as like a GLP-1 that, you know, Trulicity where you can't see the needle or one of those other small ones um, or even insulin. It's an actual IM injection. So they should probably be aware of that. But most don't care at that point, I would think. Yeah. 
I do want to mention uh, some drugs that can interrupt testicular function and mimic signs of hypogonadism. So um, some that interfere with testosterone synthesis, like spironolactone, um, which they you know sometimes used for acne, but is mostly used as a diuretic or for blood pressure and heart failure and that sort of thing. Um, so, and so to, t- to mention that too, because that's one of the big things with acne, is because in females it's great, right? Males not so much, exactly. Um, and then the uh, spironolactone, if you actually look at the structure, looks very similar to estrogen. Mm. So definitely not great to be pumping that full of right. uh, patients for no reason. Just but if you're their skin, blood pressure you, though, resistant blood pressure, you go for it. Right, go for it. But if they're using it for blood pressure and then they're having the symptoms, might be something to consider. Yeah, for sure. Um, also, cortisol um, or steroids in general for for long periods of time, uh, marijuana, heroin, even methadone can interfere with gonadotropin secretion. So, something to be aware of. So, don't do heroin, kids. Also, um, so we mentioned that diabetes and obesity can lead to hypogonadism. They can also um, mask it in, in a way, or not mask it. I guess give a false positive. So, for um, obesity, you might measure measure um, like the total testosterone level, and it could be low. Um, there could be other reasons for that. It could be that um, uh, I, I'm going to butcher this whole explanation, but basically <laughs> testosterone is bound to um, various things, proteins, and I think it's called gonadotropin binding globulin or something like that. Sounds good to me. Mm, something along those lines. Um, either way, in uh, obese patients, they have a lower amount of this. And so uh, when you're looking at their total testosterone, it might be low, even though their free testosterone that's interacting with the receptors is uh, fine, and their uh, testes are actually pumping out regular amounts of testosterone. Um, so if they're obese and they have low T, um, it might be worth uh, getting some extra labs to look into that. But just be aware that obesity with low T doesn't always mean that they have low testosterone. So if the other labs come back normal, um, you might not want to actually treat that person. And uh, for those of you who are into the newest and greatest guidelines, um, last month, so in January 2020, um, the uh, American College of Physicians released their new basic guideline, I guess, for treating uh, men with low T. Um, and that was put in the Annals of Internal Medicine on January 6th. So you can actually read it online and look through that if you're interested in that area. But um, there's, it's interesting because they, basically they were advocating um, for using the testosterone in patients that are having, you know, reduced libido, reduced sexual, you know, any kind of sexual dysfunction, basically, as opposed to they didn't even really address screening or diagnosis of hypogonadism um, or really monitoring testosterone levels just for the heck of it. They were basically treating just that symptom. And when they actually talked about other symptoms, um, things like, um, you know, physical function, depressive symptoms, energy, all those things that we kind of think about and um, with testosterone replacement therapy, they were kind of saying that clinicians should probably avoid using testosterone um, treatment um, in any other, you know, any other concern that population may have that is not sexual in nature, basically. Right. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. And then they also recommend uh, rechecking within 12 months and to see if you even, if yeah. it's still making a difference. And if not, they say stop it. Um, and if it is still making a difference, to monitor them uh, frequently after that, but then discontinue um, if, as soon as it stops improving that particular right. area. I mean, some people might start on these and say, oh, you know, this is going to be a life 
lifelong situation because, you know, of course I have low T and, and it's age related, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. And it doesn't mean that they're going to want to be supplementing their entire life. It kind of depends on, it's kind of up to them and depends on how they're feeling in some sense. Um, but not gonadotropin binding globulin, sex hormone binding globulin is mm. what is decreased in uh, obesity frequently and can give a false positive for low T. SHBG. Gotcha. That's what it's called. So the first one sounded cooler though, so. Yeah, that might be a thing too. I'm sure it is. GN, sounded very GNBG. convincing. So um, one other thing we guys we should mention too is uh, one of the things that a lot of the urologists are doing now that I've seen is um, in patients that are candidates for testosterone replacement therapy, instead of giving them actual testosterone, they've actually been giving them Clomid. So oral oh, yeah. clomid. So they, that was originally designed to be something to increase fertilization in females and uh, who are, you know, actually trying to um, become pregnant and have babies and stuff. So younger females and, and all that. So um, now we see it in men. And uh, definitely if you're a pharmacist, please, you know, know that that's very commonly done now. So don't freak out and call the, the doctor's office. Um, but we see it in men dosed usually 25 milligrams, sometime up to 50. Um, and it's, it's, uh, usually dosed daily. And what it does in men is it does still increase your luteinizing hormone, your follicle stimulating hormone, like it would in a female. But again, in, in the uh, male body, you're usually going to have that surge of testosterone to kind of shut that process down. Um, and so it can ramp up your, your natural testosterone again even if it's low uh, originally and, right. and you even see athletes kind of using that sometimes the ones that are kind of abusing steroids um, when they come off of them in order to kind of restart their endocrine system again they'll get on clomid in fact there's been some ma fighters who recently got suspended because of clomid oh really people are like oh why are they taking <laughs> fertilization <laughs> and uh that's why do they why. get these things like who gives it to them i mean they uh, realistically you, know I mean? you go to a neurologist and say i have low t but i don't want to take oh. testosterone but like, good for you here's some clomid and they're not like you're, you're i guess they wouldn't know they're a famous mma fighter maybe i don't know right. or if they i mean the mma fighters still get testosterone depletion unfortunately that's true there was uh but they can be supplemented if not it's, anymore uh, the okay. ufc took that away so even if they had legit have low t mm-hmm. hmm. you can't you used to be able to get a medical waiver for it but then every single fighter had a medical waiver <laughs> for it <laughs> right. and they were like okay <laughs> so and in fact i actually have i use this picture in my lecture when i talk about this with my pa students because there's a uh, fighter that was I, you know follow him since i was a little kid his name is vitor belfort mm-hmm. um brazilian guy just i mean a nasty fighter this guy was like ferocious unfortunately though and he's he was getting older anyway but his his doctor believed in a much higher <laughs> dosing range of testosterone <laughs> than like a reasonable level so they were testing his te- his testosterone levels to the point and they were like this is insanity like it was so off the charts with <laughs> the levels they were like this is not just replacement he was yoked I and mean, this guy was really? enormous just knocking people out left and right and then all of a sudden when they they made that rule where they had to st- stop it and shut it down they shut he came to the weigh-ins for his next fight he looked like a completely different person really like i'll show you the pictures after we get off here it's like it sucks because <laughs> you're like oh no what happened to vitor his testosterone <laughs> levels hero. are not four thousand anymore <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy, but um, still a great fighter, but yeah, it definitely does not look the same. That's funny. Um, yeah, that's my MMA story for the day. You're welcome. Yeah, we get one about every 10 episodes. Do we? Uh, maybe every five. Ooh, is it that much? I talk uh, about maybe that much? Anyways. No, maybe not. I don't know. We probably reference, that's you know, you hurting somebody or something. I don't know, something. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thank you so much uh, for listening and the support. And, you know, we the messages we've gotten over, you know, Instagram and emails and now the text messaging app, app is um, my probably my new favorite thing. I put a I sent out a secret link to all of them on my 
text platform and uh, basically had them. I asked for feedback on a patient case I was working on. Literally like 40 people text me back like within the first hour with all this good feedback. I was like, this really? is what's up. Yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah. I did want to mention one thing before we yeah. go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't watch Netflix, do you? Uh, some, yeah. Okay. I want to give a shout Have you heard of that new show? The Pharmacist. Pharmacist. Yeah. Yes. I want to give a I shout out. I have not out. seen it, but I heard it's really good. I only watched the first episode, but it's pretty awesome. I'm, I'm recommending it. I think it's only four. It's a docu-series. Um, I won't spoil anything, but yeah, you should check it out. He's, he's going after like opioids. Well, yeah, right? his, I mean, in the trailer, you see that his, his son was um, killed. Uh, he was he was murdered trying to buy cocaine and he kind of went vigilante justice on him. And then he like it was revealed that there's this opioid, like the beginning of the opioid epidemic. And he was like, um, I don't know, he, he was he's like he was like, have you seen Taken? Mm-hmm. Okay, you do watch movies. Yeah, he's good. A, yeah, I watch movies. I like it. He's like the Liam Neeson <laughs> right. in Taken right. for his son. I got gotcha. But total pharmacist version. Just like AD Way Club. Way less intimidating than Liam record, You know, recording all the conversations he has with people. So like the, the pharmacist version huh. of Liam Neeson in Taken. Huh. Well, there you go. Yeah. So the pharmacist starring Liam Neeson. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, yeah, I'd be def- we should get him on the podcast. Yeah, I sure. think we can do that. I bet you we can talk him into it. Got to go down to Louisiana. Nah, he's definitely going to Skype in. Go to New Orleans. <laughs> I guess we can go to New Orleans. That would be pretty fun. Yeah. All right. So um, thank you. <laughs> Anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, but no, seriously, thank you guys so much. If you know you ever have questions or you know suggestions, um, like our guy Derek did, if uh, any more suggestions like that, send them over email, um, you know, Instagram, whatever you want to do, whatever's easier. You can text uh, the texting platform there. The number is area code 415 nine four three six one one six um you'll get like an automatic response so just follow that and then from there you'll be saved so i'll when i share stuff with everybody it'll go right to your phone um but yeah so definitely and if you have feedback for us too uh, we've gotten some of those too some nice some not so nice but all actually good ideas so it's uh good stuff so we appreciate those too so anything we can do to make this better we're trying to we're trying to really expand our our range in 2020 Yes. I don't know what that means, but we're going to get bigger, hopefully. Expand our range. <laughs> yeah. We're going for an additional five listeners. That's our goal. <laughs> By the end of the year. By the end of the year. Cool. All right. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you next time. Bye.